independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we have Pi Jacobs. Pi Jacobs' confident but tasteful singing style is a breath of fresh air in an age of diva singers who have themselves convinced that they're getting paid by the note. She can torch it up with the best of them with blue note runs, a bit of grit and strategically placed vibrato, and her songs are custom fit to showcase a respect for musical integrity. This approach has served her well. Her songs have been placed over 60 times in television, film, and advertising spots. So odds are, if you haven't heard of her, you've heard of her music. She has four albums under her belt and a new record on the way in early 2013 that pushes her music in some new territory thanks to collaboration with producer Eugene Toll, who marries his background in hip-hop with Jacob's accessible brand of smoldering new millennium rock. Welcome to Independence Day, Pi Jacobs. Thanks, it's great to be here. It's good to have you. It's the holiday season. I don't know which holiday you celebrate, but uh, every time I was at the mall today trying to just do like something like a normal person would do, like not shop for everyone in my family, and it was a madhouse. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I kind of celebrate... Uh, both holidays, or I celebrate uh, <clears throat> Hanukkah and Christmas very marginally. Yeah. So, like, you know, not in any religious sort of way, but just, you know. It's hard. I see family. I mean, I guess it's hard to not celebrate something, given you get it's so easily caught up in this thing. It's this true. Maelstrom. So far, I've managed to. Uh, normally, this time of year kind of makes me miserable because of what you're talking about right there. Like right. you're in the mall and it's too much, and everyone everyone gets a little crazy too. Like <clears throat> whatever emotional issues people have always seem to get amplified 100x about this time yeah, of year. Yeah, you factor in like unbridled avarice. You factor <laughs> in uh, inclement weather in most places. You factor in like this obligation to buy stuff for everybody somehow even if you're not really you know you can be an atheist you still buy presents for people i think uh anyway we're getting off topic already but like <laughs> it's such a, it's such a big deal today like it was such a it was such a thing in my world today i was just trying to get errands done yeah you know i can't even find a parking space to get a photocopy made it's ridiculous <clears throat> so today i literally said to myself wow it's december and you're not miserable yet Woohoo! I don't know what I'm. I'm staying home a lot. It's awesome. Yeah, and the rain. Uh, the rain has abated. We had some. Huh? Those of you who aren't in Los Angeles, we had, which for us is a big deal. We had like five days of rain. Ooh, rain! I know. There's water <laughs> coming from the sky. Anyway, let's digress about all this. All this like yeah. the house cleaning business. So you are a Los Angeles-based musician, originally from San Francisco, mm-hmm. and. This thing that struck me most about you when I first learned about you is 60 placements in TV, uh, film. No, it's... Like, how... Like, that's the kind of that thing happen? that's... <laughs> how, yeah, I guess that's, we'll start there. How did that happen? It was a really happy accident. Um, basically, what happened was uh, in t- 2001, I, I released this first record that is called Irrational. And the producer on that record is this guy, Phil Bright, who we both, we were in San Francisco at the time. And um, he, shortly after that record came out, he moved to LA and started working with MTV and uh, doing song placement for them and, and many of their shows. So he called me and was like, hey, do you mind if I put your stuff in? And I was like, yeah, 
oh, sure, whatever. Um, and then I started getting some checks, and I was like, this this is important. Like, this could really help me. Um, and at the same time, uh, I got a small record deal in Europe and a management deal in New York. So I packed up and I moved to New York and kind of didn't think about it. And, like, for the next five years, Philbright kept putting my songs in different shows um, and stuff would show up. And then I moved uh, from New York to L.A. from a bunch of weird circumstances. I never wanted to move to L.A. But when I got here, I just called MTV and I said, hey, you know, uh, you've been placing my old record, like, you All over placed the place. it like 20 times. Would you like to hear the new one? And they said, sure. So um, that's how that started. And people are always saying, you know, how do you get these? Like, do you go out and get them? And I've just been incredibly lucky in that I struck up this personal relationship with somebody at Bynum and Murray, and, and he helped me and kind of put a bunch of things in. And then um, I guess I the Nickelodeon stuff, I did see, I think I saw like, a Craigslist ad or something crazy like that and sent them something. Uh, and they used my stuff on three different, like, teen, preteen shows, right. which surprised me. I mean, I don't think of myself as a writer for for the YA <laughs> that's your, that's genre. That's your demographic. I don't think of that being who I'm writing for, but um, they also used quite a few of the songs. So that was kind of how it started um, since then. You know, living in L.A., I've met more people. Um, I'm constantly meeting indie filmmakers. I love that. I really like it when I get synced with a project that I really love. I love film. I love great television. I wouldn't say that I've been on a lot of great television. <laughs> but, if um, it pays, right? You know, yeah, it's it's something that really helps me. You know, it's um, it's expensive to make records, and I don't really make a lot of money from touring and sales, um, so this is this is really yeah. how I how I do it. It's a really important revenue stream. You know, once upon a time, um, you know, getting things. I mean, movies were always okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it was okay. like you'd see everybody's you know songs in movies, the biggest stars, and that was right. that was okay. That wasn't verboten. But TV was kind of for a long time was like, oh yeah, whatever. That songs in, I mean, right. you know, the people like Springsteen, Tom Waits. You know, and but then when you get into advertising, you know, Tom Waits has sued successfully twice two different companies for using his songs, oh. uh, or or songs that were very similar to his songs, hmm. and because he he it's will not tolerate it at all. Yeah. So you know, and he you know Frito Lay was a big case with one of them. Uh, they ripped off Step Right Up, one of his mm-hmm. tunes, and they tried to get him, and it was so blatant. They tried to get him to use his song, the and he rewrite. Then he turned him down, mm-hmm. and then they rewrote it, and you know, deadpan. Right. Knockoff of it. And even the guy who they got to do the Tom Waits vocal part was a guy who used to kind of do Tom Waits sound alike shows. And he was like, look, I love Tom Waits. I felt really weird about it, but I'm just trying to make a living, too. And, you know, and and it was this big flap. And Tom Waits won a very large but undisclosed amount of money for that. Uh But now, fast forward to the aughts. Right. uh, And, you know, bands more so than like getting signed or you doing this they commercial. want an apple commercial they that's like <laughs> you know, that's the that's the pie in the sky that is that's much more and and sadly like they'll probably see more return from that financially than they would from one of the classic old record deals yeah yeah um but you know what's interesting is people always especially indie musicians ask me about the whole licensing thing like 
as if they think it's really glamorous or all that. And there's definitely a dirty underbelly to it. Um, and I have found that since I've been doing it for 10 years, it's changed a lot in 10 years. I mean, I like I told you, I got into it as kind of a fluke. Now I find that there's so many shady people out there doing it. You know, people who will tell musicians, you know, we're going to place your songs. Um, we're going to take your publishing in order to do that. And right. we're going to take all of the upfront money. And, oh, by the way, just send us your whole catalog as a zip file. And, you know, if we place it, we'll tell you. Yeah. So it's just sitting there with no, no – you don't have signed paperwork or anything, you know. You just literally gave your stuff to some song placer that may or may not be, you know, ethical. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of that. Yeah. I see a lot of these um, – a lot of companies that say for a fee they will get your songs placed, and I hate that. Oh, yeah. It makes me so upset. I feel I hate it when I feel like people are trying to rip musicians off. Yeah, you know. Well, it's a long and storied tradition. People yeah, ripping yeah. off musicians. It's it's nothing new. It's just a new way to do it, and it's faster, and the turnover is faster, and yeah. I guess maybe the dollar amounts are maybe probably smaller now. I would guess because it's so compartmentalized and so mm-hmm. fragmented and so. It's all over the place. But anyway, I want to, I'm going to give people something to listen to here so they know who we're dealing mm-hmm. with here. Uh, this new track, this is Anything, from your brand new record, which is coming mm-hmm. out next year, mm-hmm. Urbanicana. Is that how we're pronouncing that? Uh, sure. Close it? Sure. But it's, the whole idea is it's a hybrid between urban and Americana, Americana mm-hmm. being the style popularized by Jayhawks, Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, mm-hmm. um, Ryan Adams, a bunch of albums, which... This is a whole style, which we can talk about that all afternoon, or all evening, rather. Yeah. Um, but let's give people something to listen to. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the biz and what you're doing in it. Sounds good. Okay, so this is Pi Jacobs' track. This is an unreleased track so far? Unreleased. Unreleased. All right, so this is a one of the first times you may be hearing this. This is a track called Anything from Urbanicana, a new record by Pi Jacobs coming out in 2013. I'm Joe Armstrong. This is Independence Day. Let's dig this.
And that, Pi Jacobs, that's a brand new track from her upcoming record. The track is Anything. The album is Ur- Urbanicana. We're going to be stumbling over this all night long. So she made up a word for her for your record, yeah, right? That's the whole I idea? basically did, yeah. Okay. Which is, which is totally cool. It's just that now I'm going to have to figure out. We're figuring it out, too. Uh, but what, what I love so much about that track is tremolo. Tremolo, <laughs> for those of you who aren't music geeks, is when you mod, you have a a device or an amp that modulates the volume really fast. It sounds like a warbly kind of sound. And you hear it in a lot of old amps and old records, and I'm such a junkie for, for tremolo pedals. So much so that I have not one but two tremolo pedals hey, on my guitar pedal. You gotta have, they're different. You they are each different. Each different one for you your sound. You couldn't, you couldn't, and I'd probably get more if I could fit them on the board. Yeah. Uh, in any case, so that's it's got tremolo all over it. It's got that really cool, like, detuned, low groove. Um, yeah. Where did that come from? You know, that song was, uh, I've been playing a lot with uh, different alt tunings this year. And, um, you know, what's so great about uh, having a good producer that you work with is uh, I brought I brought Eugene a bunch of ideas. You know, I'm like, oh, I don't think this has anything, but, you know, check it out. <clears throat> and he surprised me by coming back. Uh, circling back on anything and saying that song, you know, that we have to do that song and had some suggestions for rephrasing it and stuff. Um, and you're, it's funny you point out the tremolo because we walked in and the first thing we put down to a click, not even to the drums, I don't think, was this tremolo guitar, that sound that's pervasive throughout the whole thing. And that is the vibe of it. I mean, it's, um, it just takes you somewhere, that sound and... You know, the energy of it, the detuning on the guitar, which you so savvily heard. <laughs> D? Uh, well, I, I always tune down a half step. Okay. Um, and so it is drop D flat. Plus a half step. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can tell by voicings. You know, when you've been playing long enough, you can just tell by the way things are mechanically put together. How yeah. close. So I got it within a half step. I'll, I'll call that close. Yeah, uh, well and any, done. <laughs> so uh, before, before the break, we were talking about kind of the music business because one thing you've had so much success at is getting your songs into TV and into, into movies and into... Are there different people that get you into different 
things? You yeah. know, the advertising people are different from the TV people, which are different from the film people? There's a, there's a big hierarchy, and it just strictly has to do with how much money you're going to get and how much exposure you're going to get from the song placement. Um, I've been doing a lot of kids' shows and a lot of reality TV, which are kind of low down on the food chain. Um, They're probably easier to get, maybe? Uh, they are a little easier to get, and what happens is they often don't pay anything up front. There's no actual license fee. But the beauty of a show like being on Road Rules, for instance, is that you know MTV plays it a lot. Then it goes all over the world, and it plays a lot. A lot more. Um, and it plays over and over and over again. I think I still get you know checks from things that were placed five years ago on those being a memory shows. So... And same with Nickelodeon. I was on uh, Zoe 101 and Drake and Josh and, like, these popular kids' shows. And those travel as well, even when they're off the air here. So um, that that's what's good about those shows. Then, you know, for instance, you were saying about how uh, what a big deal it is for somebody to get an, an iTunes ad. You notice that it's signed bands that get those things. Right, it's people right. like Feist who already have a giant career – um, right, or know. they're they've been working at it a while. You know, we the the, the mass of the public may not know who they are mm-hmm. when they get that that deal uh, with that with Apple, for example. Since we're talking about them, mm-hmm. um, but there's someone who they've been at it a while. They've been working hard at a while for a while. Nose mm-hmm. has been to the grindstone for a while, and it seems like a big break because for them, it might take them from touring regionally or touring nationally in a van mm-hmm. to a, you know national recognition, international recognition, touring in a bus, yeah. opening for main headline, you know, big headliners that kind of thing, which is a, it is a big step. Yeah. But I always think, you know, the Grammy nominations are coming out tonight. Mm-hmm. And I always think the, the best new artist always cracks me up, like that category, because you right. know all those artists have been slogging it out. Oh, yeah. You know, and they have to be just grinding ten their teeth. Ten-year overnight success. Yeah, ten-year <laughs> overnight. You know, look who I've yeah. discovered. Yeah. You know, they were always there. It's, I guess it's like a diamond. The diamond was always there. You just dug it up, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So uh, what, and that's like, I'm kind of curious. What do you What do you think about like awards, like every musician's got their own thing. Like you know, this, I love that you asked me this question because you know I I spend probably too much time on Facebook. And he, here's my thing: uh, I hate contests. I don't like American Idol. I don't like The Voice. No offense to anyone who likes those things. I, I mean, I enjoy them for the fact that people are excited about voices. I'm excited about voices. I love. I could listen to singers all day and say what I like and don't like. But what I don't like is this idea that music is a sport. It's not a sport. Right. It's art, and you can't like win a contest. It's it's really to me the whole point of the thing is, is what I'm doing with my song and the way I sing it and the way I do it. Does it touch somebody? And I could be terrible. I could be an awful singer. You know, Bob Dylan is you know not a great singer. But look at who he, he touched so many people. And so I, I think that this mentality of like perfect singing and a singing contest where someone wins is kind of a poison in our culture right can I, now. Can I give you a confession? Yeah. I have never seen one minute of American Idol, oh. uh, The Voice, any of those shows. I've never seen a minute of Survivor. <laughs> I've never seen. I, I've got this really strong aversion. Well, for to good reason. <laughs> reality TV, because to me, it, it doesn't. It looks like anything but reality to me. Yeah. 
And, you know, I, I live in reality. This is reality. You want right. a reality? You know, this is reality. There are no cameras following me around. Because right. I think that, you know, it's, is, it, uh, is it Heisenberg's uncertainty principle? Like, if you observe something, it changes what you're observing. And yeah. then it, be- it ceases to become reality the minute you put a camera there. Yeah, sure. At least that's my highfalutin sure. attitude about these kinds of things, you know. Right. Um, you know, there's plenty of other media out there that's been slaved over and and really crafted. Well, you know what's so interesting about American Idol is they say that because Americans are voting that that makes it this wonderful democracy and that that's going to create an artist that p- the people love. It has once or twice. There are certain artists that have come out of that that people love. But a lot of them have bombed viciously. Yeah. And part of that is is because, you know, winning a popularity contest doesn't necessarily make you a great artist. Right. I mean, I, you know, I heard this story about Pink Floyd. They got signed and they put out four albums that bombed. And whoever signed them saw what was there and, like, was willing to stick it out through these four bomb albums. They used to call it artist development. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that... Even though I don't, I think that the power that the record companies had way back in the day was abused and, you know, not necessarily egalitarian. Some of those people knew what they were doing, and they picked good artists and they developed them and they helped them get yeah. better. Yeah, and it's a they don't it's just, and, it, and it's it's so pervasive in our culture elsewhere. Like we don't invest in things anymore. It's only it's, it's a short return. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in it for the short return. They don't want to develop anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's based on that. If you want to get into these meta concepts, it's so much easier to destroy something than it is to build something. Yeah, you know, you build something. You know, it's like a house. If you like a house of cards or Tinker Toys or whatever, and it's gonna you get to design it and pour the foundation and build everything on top of that and that's the way a musical a musical career is just like anyone else's career mm-hmm. and they don't nobody wants to take the time to do that anymore they just want the fast turnaround i don't know you know i just know that uh i even though people liked i have four albums as you said even though people liked and still like that first album i mean i like it but I am so, so much better than I was yeah. when I started. And that's because I keep working on it all the time, you know? And, yeah. and and I'm so much more comfortable. And I, I don't know. I, It's a great thing about art. That's why we do it, because it's always a challenge, you know? There's so many things that... Yeah that I want to improve on now. So Yeah, first records are always interesting though because you know you've an artist has their whole life to make their first record. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the summary of everything they've ever done. Mm-hmm. And then their second record, you know, a lot of times suffers just a little bit because if they've had any kind of success, there's pressure and uh, there's more money involved, which then creates more pressure right. and they've got a year or two years or whatever to make that second record. And every now and again somebody does a really great second record. But you know, that's I think that's a big challenge for artists. But stepping back to the American Idol thing I mean, mm-hmm. I'm agreeing with you on this sense that I call it the like give it give it the Tom Petty test. Would mm-hmm. Tom Petty, if he was on American Idol, make it past the first round when he was oh, 19 no. years old? <laughs> you know, he was yeah. an amazing artist then, but look what he grew into. You know. Yeah. Well, you know what's so interesting? I mean, I used to teach uh, kids for a couple years at this uh, little private school in in L.A. and um, you know, so I had like this little rock band that we would do after school, and I could not believe it when I walked in. And here it is, this was, you know, 2008. And the kids, 15, 13, 17, would walk in with their Jimi Hendrix T-shirt on and their Led Zeppelin T-shirt on. And I just would stare at them. And I'm like, you know, 
Led Zeppelin was out by the time I was in high school. <laughs> so, I mean, I love Led Zeppelin, don't get me wrong, but why are these classic things sticking around and why is it so hard to find new classics? You know, that artist development thing is no joke, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, people, it's, it's that investment thing again. You know, this comes up a lot on this show. Like we're, we're living in this period where like dinosaurs, the dinosaurs that created this, a lot of them are still around. Mm -hmm. This will come up again and again and again. Like almost yeah. every week this comes up when this, we get, we like meander to this part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're still there, but I mean, they created something that, they, they invented it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, now we're all kind of, when was the last time somebody invented a style. I guess hip hop would probably be the most recent thing that was kind of invented. That's that's gone gone mainstream, become a really mm -hmm. big thing. Um, so, you know, and those I guess the monsters of hip hop are still around too because it was even more recent. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I always think that U two is the like. There's kind of a dividing line, mm -hmm. like it's kind of pre U two or post U two, and they mm -hmm. but they're kind of straddling that line of like the old school mm -hmm. big giant juggernaut bands. That's interesting. And you then, bring them but they're up. also kind of part of the new guard too. Like they 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 achieve that level of of success, but they're they're kind of different in a way than Zeppelin and Floyd and the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and these these other like really you know, the bands that really mm -hmm. <laughs> forged what became the basis, the foundation for our modern rock yeah. music, you know? You know that album, Fire Horse Girl, and actually the one before it... Uh, yeah, 2009. It's yeah, your, 2000... Your most recent record, Up Until the New One Comes yeah, Out. Yeah, was produced by a guy, Randy Wine, who uh, worked with U2 on oh, cool. almost all their records. And uh, yeah, he scared the everything out of me <laughs> when I first met him. I, I met him... I actually had hired him at a studio to help to record a vocal, not even produce it. I didn't know who he was. I don't know why he was working at this studio. I just booked a random session. And I go in and I work with him and it's great. We have a wonderful time. We really hit it off. And he says, you know, I'd be interested in helping you finish this record. And I left and I went and looked him up. And <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, Anyway, I really learned a lot from him, and he had a lot of interesting things to say about about you two and and their artistry yeah. in the studio. Yeah, there there's something else. Like you know, I I, I net uh, Netflix streaming has uh, Rattle and Hum, which is kind of like the making of you know the post Joshua Tree area, like that when they really exploded, and then what how that changed them. And I think it's still a fascinating movie even now to watch them go through that. Mm -hmm. um, let's hear, would you indulge us, play a little music for us? I would love to. Excellent. You've got a good-looking Martin. Thanks. Yeah, that's a guitar yeah. for those of you who aren't keeping track at home. So what's yeah, this? Uh, what have you got for us here, Pi? Um, so this is another new one. I'm going to try to only do new today. Um, it's a song about a fight, um, and it's called Whatever. And uh, it's not whatever, like, whatever. It's, <laughs> it's like... You'll see. Yeah, is this on the just gonna be on the new record? It's gonna be on the new record. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
here I do I can't back down I can't lose an inch of my precious ground I gotta stay in the war zone I got some walls I call home So nobody loses and nobody wins There was a point I forgot in it When all I want All I crave is to hold Jacobs here on Independence Day. Very, very nice. Brand new music uh, coming out. And you said you were going to do something interesting with this new new record. You're not, uh, you're going to kind of break the mold a little bit. You're not releasing it as like one piece. Yeah. Tell me what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this realization that, uh, you know, I'm, I, because I grew up with the concept of the album. Right. Um, as a musician, you know, when, from the time I made my first album, you know, I was so excited, like, oh, my God, here it is. It's this thing. I can hold it in my hand. I, it's tangible. Um, but truthfully, you know, the way we buy music is totally different now. People buy singles or a song so much more often than a, than a record. Um, and I thought what I would do, uh, actually, I started last year. I released one of the songs, Trying to Be Loved, last year. And I thought I would record a single, make a video, do a big thing, and, like, release it all, and then do it again. And what I realized was that I was going crazy because I was trying to be in recording an album mode, which is a very, I get very weird and hibernate. Um, and then at the same time, make a video and at the same time have a party. And I was like, this is a dumb idea. So we put out that one single, 
Um, it's great. We had some love for it. And then I said, forget this. I'm going to finish this EP. So we finished six songs. And now that it's done, um, we're going to release one single at a time. So Trying okay. to Be Love is out, and anything is the next one coming out in January with a cool video that we're working on. So, and Because everything, just about everything has changed. So, you know, it, music, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards music because there aren't hard and fast rules about the way they do it. But there was the way it was done, you know, mm-hmm. for a long time. You know, album rock, you do an album and... You know, and but looking back, you know, even some of the like the biggest albums, biggest selling albums. My friend and I were just talking about Hotel California the other day. It's got a lot of great tracks on it, whether you like the Eagles or not. It certainly sold a lot of records. A lot of people really liked and still like Hotel California as a yeah, record. Sure. And but it's got some pretty weak songs on side B, about Does halfway it? through side What's B. What's it like? Name one. Uh, Come on, I'm dying. Uh, I don't want to piss off Joe Walsh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wanna, you tell me on the break. I don't want to get. The, <laughs> You know, raise the ire of Joe Walsh and Randy Meisner, but anyone okay, who knows enough. the album can draw their own conclusions based on that. But Joe Walsh has other great contributions to the record, so it's not like that's, you know, Joe Walsh is great, but there's just filler, even on a record like that. You know, how many albums can you think yeah. of where every single track right. is, is a winner? You know, well, can you think of, I mean, I'm curious. It's, it's tough, and they used to put so many songs on, on records. That's also another reason why I made an EP. I right. mean, we vetted, and Eugene and I sat down, and we're like, every single one of these has to be, we have to feel 100% about, or they're not yeah. going, they're not making it on. It expanded in the CD era when CDs came out, and because you, you could only fit so many songs on a record or a cassette. Well, with cassettes, like, I remember this technology, such archaic technology, like for really long albums, they would literally make the tape thinner. They would use T- thinner tape stock like if you remember because uh-huh. back in the day you could buy you know when you were taping you could buy a 90 minute tape which is 45 minutes aside or a 100 minute tape and then it was pushing it to get to 110 and as they started making longer tapes of thinner tape stock and they even made a 120 an hour per side <laughs> but the tape stock was really thin they would wear out huh. uh, and it was the same thing for commercial tapes as well and in albums right. of course you can only fit so many songs on a side of a, a vinyl Right. And so when CDs came out, you were, you know, you had 84 minutes, I think. And you could just, that was when the hidden tracks started showing up a lot more, too. The Beatles right. did a little bit of that. Right. But, you know, everybody had hidden tracks in the 90s and in the 2000s as yeah. well. Um, so the technology, you know, has always influenced what we did as musicians. And now that it's yeah. the internet, you know, because before, before album rock, like in the 50s, even before that, it was singles. Again. Yeah. Uh-huh, and then uh-huh. it kind of became an album. Right. And now it's come back around to singles again. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I like I like both. I'll buy a song, and then if I'm into it, I will buy the the whole thing, even though I'm buying it digitally because um, I enjoy like supporting the artist. And also, I really love. I mean, you know, I love the B side. I don't necessarily want to hear a hit every time. Um, right. Uh, you know, to me, music is about the mellow stuff and the. The in-betweeners and yeah, all and those if, nuances. If you really like an artist, at least this is what I've found. I mean, I, and this seems like the most obvious thing in the world. But if you really like an artist, if you like one song, you'll probably like more. Mm-hmm. You know, there are right. there are there are a few artists in my in my collection where it's like, okay, I really only really need Johnny Nash's. Uh, uh, I can see clearly. Like I don't really mm-hmm. need the rest of Johnny Nash's catalog. But mm-hmm. but every now and again I almost feel like song or like performers, musicians, they kind of overachieve. Like every now and mm-hmm. again someone does like this one tune and that's really ends up being all they had in them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like who, who knows what else Johnny Nash has ever done other than I can see clearly now. But mm-hmm. that song uh-huh. is such a, like a home run, grand slam, slam dunk. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience writing, but you you know when, like, I don't know, I've had that moment where you have chills and, you know, it takes two minutes to write the song and then it's done. And you're like, okay, that's it. Yeah. It's done. I barely even participated in the creation. Something just happened and the song went plop and there it is. You yeah. Know? Do you know um, do you know the Jayhawks very well? The song Not their their biggest well. it was blue. Uh and you know, it got a lot of airplay. Uh VH one was using it for like promo music for mm. some big thing they were doing. So it, it made it pretty far. Mm-hmm. And Gary Lewis and Mark Olson, they said, you know, the moment they wrote that song, they would kind of they they felt like kind of taken aback by what they had done. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, okay, this is going somewhere. Right. And Freddie Johnston, who we just taped with, we got an upcoming episode with him, actually just next Wednesday. Um, bad Reputation, his biggest hit. I know I got a bad reputation. <laughs> I had to do my Freddie imitation. <laughs> had to do it. Uh, awesome. <laughs> he, uh, when he was working with Butch Vig, who had just produced Nevermind uh-huh. and Smashing Pumpkins, so you know, a very well-known producer who knows his business, um, when they were doing that record, This Perfect World with Freddie Johnston, they had, he just told the story last night at Molly Malone's, where they'd done all these tracks and the band had gone home for Christmas. And Butch was like, if you got anything else, you know, anything else, I want to hear some you know, more material. Mm-hmm. And Freddie's like, oh, I've got this thing that I hate. And he played yeah. it for him and it was that song. Yeah. And Butch Vig was like, we're, we're recording that right now. I think Butch Vig ended up doing the drums himself. Right. And at least that's what Freedy said. Right. And it became his biggest hit. So we as artists, like, how, we don't really know. That's why we get producers, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know you know sometimes, but then, you know, a good producer will, will, will surprise you with your, you know, it's like Eugene pulling out that anything song for me. Yeah. You know. And I, I've always, I mean, I tend to self-produce because <laughs> largely out of cost constraints. Totally. But I would love the opportunity to work you know, with, with a producer, uh, you know, who I trusted. That's the big thing is trust. Yeah. I've worked with three really good ones. Um, and you know, it's weird. Um, I have, you know, great relationships with all of them now, but there's always this moment in the process where I'm like, I know they want to kill me and I definitely want to kill them. Yeah. (laughs) Even you could be best friends with them, but that's part of the thing that happens. And I'm kind of used to it now. So I'm like, oh yeah, we're now, now we're at this point in the recording. It's part of the process, (laughs) you know? And like, I think that conflict breeds good music though. It can, yeah. You know, or it really can, you know, as long as you don't actually kill each other. No, you know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, this I talked a little bit about Randy Wine earlier. One of his techniques is to make the artist angry. And I know because he's told me after we finished working together, he told me about doing this with other artists. And, um, you know, it, I remember looking backward when he would do that to me and I would just get so upset. I'd be in the vocal booth like, I'm going to cry slash come out and smack you. you know? Because yeah. <laughs> he felt that that would bring this extra angst and, and yeah. emotion to the tracks. So. I've, I've tried everything. And I've been on the other side. I've been a producer as well. And I've tried Jedi mind tricks to get people into different head spaces. And sometimes it can backfire miserably. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you have to be very careful. It's a yeah. gentle skill, which is why I think you know, producing is this voodoo art. You know, yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do, though. I love producing other I artists. I love it, too. I've just started really getting a lot more into it this year. Yeah. And uh, one, I mean... Because I'm new at it, what I tend to do is only work with people who I think have 
really strong, clear ideas already. Yeah. And then my job, I mean, my style, I guess, is I would never be confrontational with those people, but is to kind of get out. I try to be almost invisible, like yeah. as I as I run the thing, and then like. When I make comments or try to steer them in a direction, I kind of don't even look at them. It's like I try to pretend it's not even me as a person saying yeah. it. Like, hey, this is a voice coming from outside the room. Watch that one run, you know? Yeah. Yeah, producers have reputations, too, because uh, T-Bone Burnett, I know, he has a reputation for being very hands-off. You know, he'll show up and kind of create this environment and then kind of let the band do its thing. Mm-hmm. And it infuriated uh, um Counting Crows with their first record, oh, it infuriated huh. them because I they, they interesting they had they had a lot of conflict. I don't I don't think they really like each other very much. But look what they made. Uh, I mean that yeah. record is brilliant. Record. I played with that drummer many uh, many moons ago. He's uh, a wonderful that drummer. Is, uh, Steve, Steve Bowman. Oh yes, Steve Bowman. Steve Bowman. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the other on the other end of the spectrum is like Phil Spector, who would keep a pistol. You know, there's like these <laughs> stories of him back in the sixties and seventies. He would he would like. You know, somebody they were getting in, the band went in to, like, talk to him about, like, oh, we don't like what you did. And he, like, got out a pistol and set it on the console. And they were like, okay, that's the way it's going to be. Oh, my God. All right. So that's, that's <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, but you never know what's going to work with a particular artist. It's that voodoo art. You never know what's going to happen in the studio, too. Yeah. I mean, I remember one of our sessions, uh, uh, <laughs> somebody th- threw a metal thing across the room trying to get someone's attention, you know, because we all had headphones on. And that turned into, you threw a metal plate at my head and people screaming and (laughs) weird stuff happens in the studio. People are, you got to understand, I think that everyone, it's like what we were saying about Christmas. There's certain things that bring out everyone's wounded inner self. (laughs) It's a a pressure cooker because you know, you know, every minute costs money. Totally. And you, you, you've, you're there for a specific reason. There's a lot of studios don't have windows, so you're kind of locked in this alternate universe without time. I love that. Time p- passes at a different rate. Uh, the studio in college, man, we had, you know, of course, no windows, but the, the, the hallway between the, c- the control room and the live room had a uh, stained glass window. You couldn't see through it, but you could see light. And I, so many times, I can remember walking out of the studio, having been there all night, and like walking through and thinking, what is that's really weird. What is that? Oh, it's tomorrow. That's yeah. the sun. Right. You know, I better go home. I love that time warp. Yeah, I do I, too. I really love it. Um, yeah. Well, Although the, I make I do smaller sessions on or uh, shorter sessions on purpose now. Yeah, and so right. many of it, you know, and so many, so much modern recording is done in, in unorthodox locations, like in your house. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very, very common to do that kind of thing. And let's talk about. I want you to play another song if that's cool. Yeah, and then let's of talk a little bit more about like what you what you do to get your demos down after the tune. So sure. tell me, uh, sure. what what uh, what have you got for us? Uh, let me see here. Well, in keeping with the let's play a tune from the new EP that's coming up, none of these have been been released, so that's kind of fun. Um, let's do this uh, thing called Kick Around. Yeah, this is about leaving a, a band. <laughs> I'm starting to not care that you don't care. Waving my arms so you would see me here And 
I'm thinking about happy. I might like to do happy. Cause I'm starting to feel like a parody. Caught here in a perfect tragedy. I'm paying dues on my dues. I'm suspecting the rules. Oh, no, you won't help me to kick around no more. Oh, 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 oh. And we'll say that you have won the Showing your age now, or is it me? And it gets harder and harder to believe Anybody wins this game that we're in Just take me out the contest, please And give that two dollar crown to Miss Popular I'm sitting here with Pi Jacobs. That is her tune, Kick Around, coming out on her brand new record early next year, Urbanicana, Urbanicana, Americana, Urban Americana, something of that nature. Uh, you can learn everything you need to know about her. Drop by her website. That's piejacobs.com, P-I-J-A-C-O-B-S.com. Also, she's on the Facebooks, facebook.com slash piejacobs, and follow her on Twitter, twitter.com slash piejacobs. And as always, house cleaning for us, too, indepthday.com. Please drop by there. See all of our shows. You've got them all archived there. Had some great artists, and it's got some more great artists coming up next week. Freedy Johnston. 
I know I got a bad reputation. I can't help it. I love Freedy so much. He's such a great. I mean, I finally got to meet him. Like I've been such a fan of his for so long, and I finally got to meet the guy. And we're gonna have uh, have him on the show next week. Uh, but for you, uh, you're LA based. You've got mm-hmm. songs coming out. And before the break, we were talking about. And we're just starting to kind of get into like recording and how you go about your process. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for you, how has technology, or maybe you know, do you record at home, mm-hmm. and how has technology changed that process, or if, or if it has it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's see. I got Pro Tools after my first record, which is uh, like 2002, I guess. Um, I think I actually turned around with I sold that record to a small label in Europe. And I, I think I took my advance and actually bought Pro Tools with it. <laughs> Did you get like an M box or like a, a bigger, I a got bigger a... rig? Because back then, God, what would have been? Was it twenty four? Was... was the new thing then? No, I think it was the O. Was it the O? No, it was the O O one. Yeah, was which a box. is yeah. Okay, yeah. It was a box. Now I have the O O two. I'm still a little right, behind right. times, but um, I got it, you know, and I um started teaching myself how to use it and. I, I got to a point where I could do demos, but it's a very, it's a really deep program. And what happened that was kind of fun was, you know, I spent a long time like doing demos and kind of not understanding some basics that you would learn if you went to say audio school. I just got it and taught myself. But what was cool was when I started working with Randy Wine on Fire Horse Girl, um, I had got a few other pieces of gear that were good stuff. And, and what we did was we went and recorded drums in a big studio, and all the other tracking we did at my house. And he would come over and use my studio. It was like the best. You can't pay for that kind of mentorship because I would watch him all day, and then he would turn around and say, okay, now you drive, and I would get all nervous and fumble and drop things. And um, But it was great because he taught me, uh, f- helped me fill in all the holes of, of things I didn't know and then taught me some of his super fly yeah, and they don't—they don't really give you much of. Uh, my mom is just complaining about this. Like, they don't give you a manual anymore. Oh, like, yeah. it drives my mom crazy. Like, she has a smartphone now. You know, but you don't have a manual, and they just they assume that the younger generation is just going to preternaturally just do it. I don't know if I'm learning disabled or what, but I can't. I don't ever learn using a manual. I don't know what my. De- I, you know, my mom's a school teacher, so she says it's because I'm kinesthetic, which means you learn by touching and doing. Um, so. Maybe that's my yeah. Well, excuse. I, I, I'm similar. I largely do it the same way. But there's always that point, especially with a really deep program like Pro Tools, mm-hmm. and then you start mixing in like weird computer bugs and bugs in the software, and it's like, yeah. oh my god, why is it doing this? It's never done this before. Yeah. And then it starts doing something, and you know, you you know, I've got friends. You know, thankfully, I've got some friends who are pretty heavy hitters, so I just right. I call them and say, hey, you got to have your Pro Tools support team. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Which my is friend, not uh, Pro Tools. It's your friends. <laughs> yeah, my friend Omar. Shout out to Omar, man. He went to Pro Tools. Jedi school and he can always get to the bottom of the problem in no time which is fantastic also they did make it better i mean i remember when before they went to os 10 like it crashed like it routinely crashed like five times a session you know that was just something you had to experience like you're like oh yeah it crashed and maybe we have to reinstall everything from scratch again (laughs) and that was like normal and not just for me but in other studios i went to and then they made it better so yeah, it's it's gotten better. It's gotten better. I mean, they've they're kind of the industry standard, and there's a lot of other ways to go about this too. There's many other programs out there that totally. people use that people love. Yeah. Apple's Logic. There's it used to be Cubase. Now it's called something else. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, GarageBand. 
now, honestly, you can do I know. a pretty, I know good, people do. pretty good product on GarageBand. The audio's not bad. I just, I can't do it. I'm spoiled. Like, I can't. I get frustrated, yeah. and I want to throw it across the room. You know, this, you know? <laughs> this, I hope this doesn't come off sounding weird, but when I first started doing multi-track recording, uh, you know, all my friends, this was kind of the 80s, everybody had cassette four tracks. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating to me because it was so limited. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't do much with a four track, cassette four track, because I was like, I knew how much more I could do. And I right. knew that I couldn't do it with this little box. So I kind of right. almost, I did a couple little demos on a four track and then skipped, skipped that entirely mm -hmm. and started doing stuff with bigger consoles and bigger tape machines mm -hmm. and more effect. And I mean, not, not effects per se, but like more better mic pre's, better equalization, because yeah. those things just didn't have very much. Yeah. And I know you could do, you know, there's that legendary story, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska was done on an eight track cassette recorder. So you, it can be done, but I found it very, very like restricting. You got to work in an environment that feels good to you. I mean, yeah. and, and also I have to say, even though I have the consumer model of Pro Tools, I can, I almost always with my projects go back and forth to a bigger studio. Yeah. And I also have the secret to my success. Do you want to nerd out? Are we going to? Yeah, yeah, we can okay, we'll out. go here. All right. So I tech also alert. have uh, tech alert. I have an Apogee Mini Me, which is a, yeah. pre a preamp. And it basically, the analog to digital co conversion in the Pro mm -hmm. Tools 002 box is not that great. And when I got that little Mini Me um, and some nice mics, it changed my whole reality it was yeah. like now i'm making stuff that c is acceptable to yeah. it would be on radio and it could be you yeah know, it's not whatever. that much money i have an i have an external uh converter as well yep. um and you know borrowed for my last project we just borrowed mike pre's up the up the wazoo and then we rented some stuff too we rented some really nice gear so yeah. but for not that much money you can do a really really solid project at home now yeah yeah and one thing i've learned too is to really like keep it simple and th and then the other thing is um for me, when I, if I'm doing a demo, it's fine. Or, uh, you know, I've done some things that are like writing for a film or writing, you know, stuff like that where I just knock it out myself. But if I'm trying to make art at some point, if I can afford it, I'd like to bring in a, pro a producer. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm super picky. I search high and low. Actually, I just fell into Eugene by accident, I guess. But, but um, you know, I can't go and sing and get a good vocal take if I'm having to think about, oh, did I just, you know, overamp, did, did I just blow the preamp and, and is, yeah. do we have distortion now? That Those two brains are the opposite thing for me. And um, I just, I can't do it. You know, I have done it before and it's such an unpleasant experience yeah. <laughs> to be trying to critique your performance at the same time as you're giving your performance. It's, That's the hardest thing about yeah. self-producing is when you go to do the, the lead vocals or even, you know, anything mm -hmm. vocal because... That's when, like, as a guitar player, I can separate it out a little better and be a performer and be a technician at the same time. Because I guess as a, as a guitar player, you're already a technician. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, you know, with, especially with an electric guitar, you've got cables and pedals and gain structure and all these things you're doing. Right. Um, so you're already kind of halfway there. Um, it's just kind of an extra layer on top of it. But with, but with vocals, you know, you're laid bare. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you on the other side. It's really hard for me to do vocals in front of the console. I need mm. to be separate from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't. My thing is that I I can't think about the engineering aspects of it. Not that I can't. I am at a point where I can kind of critique on the fly, I guess, and and I know when I'm happy 
with what I'm doing. Um, but I can't, I do not want to be thinking about, yeah. is this too loud? Is this too soft? You know, is this, yeah. Yeah. What I wouldn't like, again, I, this is coming back around again, but what I wouldn't give to work, you know, with, uh, Tony Berg, T-Bone Burnett, Rick mm-hmm. Rubin, uh, Ed Cherney, uh, the list just goes on and on of these guys that I've respected for so long. Um, and there's there's more of them now, you know. Even yeah. you know, Mark Knopfler produces records. Steve Earle produces records. Hey, you know what? This is what I love about living in L.A. These people are here, and you might get to work with them. You yeah. know, and I some of the people that play in my band, I can't believe how fortunate I am to work with them. Yeah, and you know, it's they're accessible and to me. I mean, I'm always sort of like, oh my God, you want to play with me? Yeah. <laughs> um, my drummer is the former drummer for the Beastie Boys. He's amazing. He's been in so many huge things. I always laugh because I'm like, tell me a stadium story, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> of your when you played in Japan at blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, he's great. He's my he's my buddy now and, and he plays with me live when I can get him and, and on my records and how many, how many of your shows are band shows versus solo shows? You know, there's definitely more solo shows. Um, I'm, I have musicians that I play with in San Francisco, LA and New York and I play all those places regularly. So usually it'll be a band show if it's a bigger show in, in one of those cities. But when I travel, like I just went up the coast, um, I go by myself. I bring my dog. It's awesome. I like both. You know, I like the challenge of trying to play by myself. Um, It's a real challenge. (laughs) Yeah, it's very Um, different. Very, very different. different. I always liked, uh, or like, I like playing solo, but only in contrast to playing with a band. Like, I want a band to be my main thing because without that interaction with the musicians, like, uh, you know, I've I've so many friends that have encouraged me to just do do tons of solo shows. You don't really need a band; just go and play shows, play shows, play shows. Mm-hmm. That's what Freedy does. That's right. what so many musicians just do. Yeah. Um, but I I really miss that interaction. That's what really gets me off about music is yeah. interacting with the musicians and having that. Uh, layered, textured sound and the dynamics of having more than one instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, I get really bored really fast mm-hmm. playing solo shows. So mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm if I'm playing a lot with a band and then I go do a solo show, I love it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not playing with a band, I really don't have any interest in doing solo shows. It's mm-hmm. it's for my own detriment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should be playing shows, yeah. but I don't because I'm bored uh-huh, uh-huh. right out of the gate. Yeah, I think I guess the solo show is so is so intimate. That that is one aspect about it that I like. I also like the freedom. Like if I'm playing and I want to hang on this chord, I'm just gonna do it. Um, or the freedom of um, trying, you know, like someone in the audience starts talking about their something that happened to them, and you know, blah blah blah, and it reminds me of a song, and I just play that song even though it's you know something I haven't played in a few years. I like that freeformness of it yeah it's definitely liberating mm-hmm. you know you can do whatever you want to with it and whatever you want with a set list and you don't have to I mean but that's I guess that's what I was always striving for for so long was having and I got pretty close numerous times where I'd have a band and we'd be we so used to playing with one another that you know it's usually there's usually one guy that's really into it mm-hmm. the drummer can just kind of follow so you mm-hmm. just got to get the guitar player and the bass player on the same page as you <laughs> yeah. but they can kind of read you after a while if you play with someone long enough they can kind of read your body language yeah and that's that's like that transcendent moment that's mm-hmm. what i'm always striving for that i love the most is yeah. when i kind of go somewhere and they just know to follow me yeah well you know it's interesting um 
I am not in this project anymore, but a couple years ago I was in a, a band called the Silver Lake Chorus. It's an a cappella group, 25 singers that does uh, indie songs. And um, I, when I left that group, I continued to sing with a couple of the singers. And I literally, you know, all these songs that you're hearing tonight, the new songs, um, I write these parts. I write so much of the song around my background vocal parts, um, which you'll hear on the recorded versions. Obviously, they're not here with me tonight. Um, but with there's something really magic about these singers that I sing with. Um, and every time we play, people are like, the singing, the singing, the singing, the three-part. Um, and it's that what you're talking about vibe. I've had that before with the band, but it's interesting to me that I have it now with these singers. Yeah. Um, And that's something I really want to bring up before we play your, what's probably going to be the last song. We're going to run out of time here. mm -hmm. Um, the vocals are so striking in your music because, and I referenced this before, you know, we're in an age where, especially with female singers, it seems like over singing is the order of the day. You know, you have to be able, you know, these, you see these YouTube videos with eight year old girls sound like Mariah Carey or, And, you know, it's it's not that it's not a, it's not, not talent or a skill, because it most certainly is. It's hard uh-huh. to do that. Yeah. But I find it, it, it gets tiresome very, very quickly. And you so mm-hmm. deftly and so capably have the, the straddle this line between being a very capable singer, but never stepping over that line. And I commend you. I, I, <laughs> can, I encourage people to buy your music <gasps> and go see you play live, because it's something that I, you don't hear much these days. You know, people like, you know, Aretha Franklin, I think, would be, not, mm-hmm. not that you sound like Aretha per se, mm-hmm. but that's an example of someone I can think of who, like, knew all the licks, mm-hmm. but knew when to not sing the lick. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the hallmark of a, a mature musician is know what not to sing. Uh, wow. Thanks. So keep thanks. at it, man. Thanks. Woman. <laughs> I, I think uh, I was very shy as a, um, I've, I've sung since I was three years old, but I went through a phase when I got into college and I started playing bass. I actually played bass for other people for a while and quit singing. And when I came back to singing, I found that I had developed this kind of stage fright. And I was afraid to sing high or do runs. or And I literally have been working that out since then. So I think that fear kind of keeps me from over-singing, which is a good thing. And then what I also realize is that the way to deal with my stage fright about singing in general is to make sure that I am here in the song. Like, I am here <laughs> emotionally. And, you know, if you're really there emotionally, you're not going to do some extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. You know, yeah. it wouldn't even occur to you because you would be right, you're right in the middle of the song. And that, I think, is my whole job right there. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to sing good, obviously, but that doesn't even matter. What matters is that I'm delivering it you're for, serving for the real. Song. Serving for the real. For real. I'm there. <laughs> and then the voice is so important. It cannot be stressed enough how important that is in a song, in a popular music style, because most people who are listeners, who are listening to the music, are not musicians i mean maybe in la they are yeah. but in in the out there in the world mm-hmm. most people you know they sing in the shower they sing in their car you know they're they're bashful about singing but but they still have a voice everyone 
has a voice. So it's the one thing that they're going to key into and relate to because even if they're not musicians themselves, they can tie into that Absolutely. and tap into that. So, you know, you serving the song, you providing this vocal that they can then sing along with, mm-hmm. you know, that's where the gold is. I actually really encourage at all of my shows the audience to sing along. I will, I will do shameless things to get them to sing along. I'll stop singing and tell them they have to sing or I'm not going to come back and sing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what ends up happening is people really have fun. Oh. You know, like that last song, the kick around thing, you know, the, oh, 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 people love singing that. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to write a na-na song. Oh, yeah. You I know, have Cuts song. Like a Knife or yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a few songs out there that have the na-na's. Like I, yeah. I haven't done it yet. I, I, I've had a few like benchmarks in my writing that I've reached but the Nana song is something I haven't found a way to incorporate I think yet. you're going to play my Nana song am I? I think so Trying to be Loved it's we... got a Nana in does it, it have a Nana? Yeah. Well, maybe we'll, we'll th- maybe we'll throw it on the website because I want to get a live song right, okay. because we're, we're getting a little short on time here we've sure. had I mean we're not totally done but we've had you know we've yeah. <laughs> It's easy to talk to you about these things. It's, it's yes. great to have you on the show. How about how about another tune? Can you get uh, sure. get your axe out and sure. tell us what this is going to be? Yep. Is this going to be another new tune? Yeah, I promised myself I would I would only do new new tunes. Um, so I tell me I'm a little try- bit about this. Okay, I'm trying to get more into uh, telling stories because. Um, you know, I'm just not that interesting. <laughs> so, and there's a wide world of stories out there. This is actually a story from my personal experience. Um, and it's meant to be funny. So if, if you laugh. What's the, what's the name of this one, Pi? It's called Mrs. O'Neill. And it's um, dedicated to my eighth grade boyfriend's mom. Oh, and that's not how it starts. All right. Dark, the blinds are drawn. Mama is at work till dawn. I know we are all alone. Please slow it down. Just slow it down. I know just how all this works. I'm not ready for no first. I may not go to your church. That don't make me dumb. Oh no. On my side, we'll see it all. The Mrs. O'Neill. Against the screen, where is all your clothing? Oh no, that's your ma. It's your ma. But such a lady, your old gal can cuss and scream really loud. I just don't think I deserve all those dirty words. When it was me slowing it down, D8 misses over me. Your son is so gentle. 
and steal But he tried to get my pants off today Oh, Mrs. O'Neill I might be poor, but here's a deal The only stud here is the one you raised The only dirty, easy, trailer trashy hoe no good slut Dirty, easy, trailer trashy hoe no good slut Dirty, easy, trailer trashy hoe no good slut Is the one you raised Yeah! Pi Jacobs on Independence Day. I'm very, very curious. Did you uh, <laughs> did you change the names to protect the innocent, or was there actually, actually Mrs. O'Neill? Actually, I didn't. There is no Mrs. O'Neill. Oh my goodness. Sorry. Call the lawyers. <laughs> Call the lawyers. Anyway, well, we're just about out of time. Tell me, um, you know, you've got this new record coming out. Like I said, people can go to piejacobs.com. Yeah. Of course, you're playing shows. You've got a residency yeah. coming up. Where exactly is this taking place? Um, you know, we have not finalized all the details, so. Um, it's looking like it's going to be a once-a-month thing, but um, before I shout it out on the air, maybe just check back on right. on my website. So check out piejacobs.com, um, the Facebook page, the Twitter kind of deal. I'm sure people, the other, you'll yeah. make sure people know. Yeah, we'll make sure people know. And um, and then the other thing that's kind of exciting is um, we're talking about placements, and we just got a real a goodie. So um, our song, Trying to Be Loved, which came out, the first single that came out last year, is going to be on Pretty Little Liars, which is a popular show now. It's on ABC Family. So February 5th. Very nice. Look for it there. We'll look for it there on the little screen, which I guess is now everywhere. The yeah. screens are, <laughs> you, you can't even go to the gas station now. They have screens at the gas station. It drives me bananas. In any case, so people can learn, like I said, everything they need to know about you, upcoming shows, upcoming releases, mm -hmm. uh, piejacobs.com. Look out for her new record, Urbanicana, coming out next year. Uh, it's been very, very wonderful getting to know you, having you on the show. Thank you. We Such wish a you good time. Yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, come back and see us. Keep us abreast of when these tracks are coming out. We'll do everything we can to make sure people know about it. Awesome. Thanks. And happy holidays to you, Pi. Thanks. Thank you. you thanks too. to Pi Jacobs, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski. And as always, to Valentina Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, as always, happy holidays. I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>